testing. This is bottom shelf. Welcome back to Bottom Shelf. Thank you for listening to our second podcast. I'm Maeve. And I'm Sophia. And we are going to start off this podcast by talking about the Obamas, specifically Malia Obama. Um, a picture of her wearing a pro-era t-shirt sort of went viral a couple of weeks ago. Now I have a question about that. Are you familiar? That's a rapper, right? Yeah. Am I sounding really old? I didn't know what it's that was. It's a Brooklyn Rap Collective. Ooh. Yeah. Very cool. So and then they proceeded to regram, is that a term? The photo of yeah. her wearing their t-shirt. So the point of this Times article is that um, Malia Obama really is a fashion icon, and the, art, the author of the article argues that, that she's sort of following in her mother's footsteps um, as a fashion icon for young women, and then potentially as she grows older, women of all ages. And I thought this was very interesting because last week we were talking about sort of a group of baby feminists, and although Malia Obama has not come forward as a baby feminist, the fact that this photo of her wearing a t-shirt and not at like a really fancy event went so viral indicates that she has um, huge influence. Well, quick interjection regarding Malia Obama not coming out as a baby feminist. She has interned, or this summer interned, on the set of Lena Dunham's Girls. So though... How do I get that internship? Right, though? So, <laughs> so though Malia Obama hasn't, you know, written... I don't know, some man, some feminist manifesto. I think right. it's fair to assume the girls well, and I think feminist. the other thing is, this goes to another point in the article, is that the Obama daughters have been very sheltered from the public eye and also from the media, which is something that the Obamas have done purposely throughout their time in the White House. And so potentially once they leave the White House, um, Malia and Sasha's potential to become very influential young women, not only in fashion, but also in all other aspects of life, I think their potential was unlimited. Oh, sure. I think I'm glad you roped in Sasha Obama there because I was going to say, look, I'm a little disappointed that the New York Times focused on Malia Obama to talk about fashion because have you seen, like, the cool punk styles of Sasha Obama? <laughs> talk about, like, a trailblazer. Oh, that girl, I mean, look, Malia is fashionable. I think probably a little more reminiscent of her mother. Exactly, but I think. <sighs> Sasha, she's got that punk vibe. And again, I think their role as icons for young black women is going to grow exponentially once they're no longer in the White House and potentially their parents don't feel that they need to be as, sh- as sheltered from the media right. when they don't literally have media on their front lawn every second of the day. Exactly. And I think I, especially Malia interning on the girls' set is an indication that she probably has some pretty fun, cool career aspirations. Yeah. And I doubt this will be the last the public eye sees of... Malia Obama. I'm sure it will not be. Or Sasha, her cool younger sister. I'm connecting to my brother with the West Side Connection because he said he got the best in. We got the birds like two, four, seven. So I'm going to hit you back in a second because we already lifted. We lifted, we lifted. You Speaking of young women making an impact, again, something we talked about last week. Always important. We wanted to touch on the... Disney character from Girl Meets World. Um, her name is Rowan, and she recently has become very popular on the internet. She wrote an essay on Instagram responding to a fan's question about white feminism. 
And this essay essentially talks about intersectional feminism. And she says that the way different women experience feminism and the issues that go along with feminism are very different. And that discussing feminism just as white feminism is forgetting about all the other experiences of women all over the world. Of different races. Exactly. Primarily. Um, And I think that that is something that is especially relevant, at least in pop culture, or even among uh, female entertainers. Uh, Just making a little allusion to what is to come in our discussion about uh, the interaction on Twitter between Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj, which we might have talked about in our previous podcast. Um, But I think... Firstly, I think it's great because Rowan, we are not sure how to pronounce her last name, Blanchard, Blank, Blankard, Blankard. Um, anyway, she's one of the young stars of Disney Channel, Girl Meets World. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's what, 14? Yeah. Uh, not that age really matters, but I think it's great as a 14-year-old to be so aware, so woke to those issues. Yeah. Um Important to note that she does roll with my favorite girl posse, Amanda Stenberg and Kieran Shipka, two people I shouted out in the previous episode. Um, So, like, this is what I'm saying. Just such a cool group of girls that are saying some really cool stuff who could really teach, you know, some older women, i.e. Taylor Swift, a lesson or two about what is pretty, you know, kind of complex issue about intersectionality and feminism. Summer is now coming to an end. A good time to reflect on the big uh, media releases, whether that be movies, music, tours, whatnot. What were the big earners? That's the big question. According to Forbes, um, the number one film released this summer was Jurassic World. And this was actually really impressive when I looked at the numbers for this because um, it it had the biggest opening weekend ever at two hundred and eight million dollars, putting it at the third um, biggest movie ever worldwide, right behind Titanic and Avatar. And I went to see the movie and thought that it was great. I mean, we actually went to see it together, and it was a really good movie. Am I surprised that that's the number one movie, third movie in the world? Ever. Yes, yes, I'm incredibly it's surprised. The third highest grossing movie ever. Yeah. I think that's bananas. Like, what? Is that Chris Pratt? Is it just the franchise? Potentially, it's because Jurassic World was going off of the whole Jurassic Park series, which has, I think, a pretty large following. You know, Jurassic Park is something that I remember watching as a kid at friends' houses, and I think even generations behind us watched them because they were already pretty old and we were watching them. So potentially, because the old movies had such a big following... This new movie drew a huge crowd, and we'll see if that's accurate or not when the new Star Wars movie comes out. I was out. just about to say that. Yeah, I think that's nuts. I don't know. Were people predicting that that was going to do I that don't well? Know. The other movies in the top five, second was Avengers, third was Inside Out, which I haven't <sighs> seen, but I Inside heard it was Inside Out great. is such a good movie. Oh, my God. You'll laugh. You'll cry. <laughs> 
That's basically <laughs> it. You'll laugh. You just here's my favorite. Number four this summer was Minions. Mm, I did not see that. And number five was Pitch Perfect Two. That was all right. I thought it was hilarious. Well, you actually, you know what? Good for Pitch Perfect Two because Elizabeth Banks, female director, also actress, direct. She directed it. Yeah. Nope, that's the only female director on that list. So, wow, perhaps. I didn't realize Pitch Perfect 2 had done that well. Yeah, I think it did possibly because even if it wasn't as good as the first movie, the first movie was so insanely popular that everyone wanted to see the second movie. So, similar phenomenon. Similar phenomenon. In terms of music, um, Forbes also released an article about the top five music tours of the summer. Unsurprisingly, the top two are Taylor Swift, number one, and One Direction, at number two. Is this unsurprising because you have attended concerts from both artists, or you're not surprised because you yourself went contributed to those numbers? Yes, and I know how expensive the tickets are. And second of all, I think that both of those bands slash artists appeal to a wide variety of concert-going age girls. And potentially boys as well. And I think that's probably the demographic... Purely speculation here. The one demographic that probably shells out the most money to go see concerts. Yeah, agreed. Teenage girls. Interesting, though, after those two being the top two, um, third, fourth, and fifth on this top five tours were The Grateful Dead, The Rolling Stones, and U2. Well, that would be grown-up teenage girls that are seeing them. Yeah. My theory. Yeah, I think that's great. An interesting comparison, interesting contrast there. Yeah. Would I have liked to see some of those other bands? Yes. Would you really? Yeah, I, I love you too. I have terrible music taste, so I only know Taylor Swift and One Direction. The joke songs. in my family is that we're related to Bono because he has the same last name as the Irish side of my family. It's also a very common last name. We're definitely not related to Bono, <laughs> but that's why I really like you too. Well, you heard it here first. Maybe it's related to Bono. Now that fall has started, we've just gone over the best of summer 2015, an important thing for fall that a lot of people our age are probably thinking about are internships and jobs for the coming semester or the coming year. So something we want to talk about is self-promotion and how to really market yourself to get a job or to get an internship. Because I think that um, self-promotion is something that a lot of people feel uncomfortable with because you don't want to seem too pushy or that you're hyping yourself up too much. I'm from Minnesota. I'm very passive all the time. But this is an important conversation. There is some merit. Well, there's a lot of merit to the saying that it's all about who you know and connections. Exactly. But in order to utilize that, you got to self-promote. And you also have to be willing to not only self-promote, but to take advantage of the connections. Yeah. And taking advantage, I think, often has a negative connotation, so maybe that's not the right word. But really utilizing your connections. Oh, um, yeah. Because it can lead to really great things. For example, today, actually. Very relevant. Um, yeah, very relevant. And something that worked out great, I had a previous TA in a film class that I took had had shared a post of his old boss who was currently looking for an intern um, to work in a film industry company. And I knew that Sophia was really into film. So I messaged my TA and asked him for the information and for his boss's email 
Sophia sent in her resume and is going in next week for a job interview. I mean, don't knock social media in terms of getting a job. Oh, totally. Yeah. And you really have to be willing to reach out to everybody. I mean, I think I talked to my TA like twice. Yeah, so truly, Maeve was the real MVP here, really connected everybody, um, which was really awesome. And it was truly like that was the foot in the door. Because I think, there, you know, you can always like cold submit resumes through like job portals but mm-hmm. success rate of that is minimal you really don't be afraid to really push your skills and your accomplishments on your resumes and your cover letters and also in your interview you definitely don't want to come across as cocky or but arrogant. it's important to be confident and oh, to yeah. know that you know your stuff and to get that point across that you are a good candidate and you have to believe it in order for other people to believe it We want to talk a little bit about putting yourself out there in changing styles as we go into fall. <laughs> take take risks and put yourself out there in terms of fashion. Yeah. Here's like the one fall fashion that I'm really coveting. Mom jeans. Now, not quite as controversial. Topshop has like a million mom jeans right now, which means that probably higher-end brands have had them for like a year at least. So I'm really looking for a pair of mom jeans, but I think the question is, firstly, I have not tried on any mom jeans. <laughs> um, first, can you describe to me what a mom jean is? Uh, oh, yeah. Because when you say mom jeans, I'm just envisioning, envisioning like really high-waisted jeans that are kind of straight all the way down, but I think you've got that's it. incorrect. No, I think you've got it. Look, okay. mom jeans once parodied by the ladies of Saturday Night Live, now coveted by youthful me, uh... They're basically high-waisted, usually light wash. I want to almost say exclusively. And, I mean, I, the reason that I first wanted mom jeans is because I was looking for a pair of looser light wash pants. And my theory is with my body type, which I think is, like, a little curvier, is that mom jeans would fit the best. Like, I don't want to do boyfriend jeans because I think that I'll just tend to look like a large sack from the waist down, <laughs> which is not a look I'm necessarily going for, but, like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I gotta I gotta have, like, a shopping excursion where I try on different things. There are also girlfriend jeans, which are a little more fitted than boyfriend jeans, but, again, not necessarily what I'm going for. But if I want the edge and I want the flattering effect, I think mom jeans are the answer. I think you should try it. So that's what I'm looking we for. Go jean shopping. Oh, I do want to go jean shopping. I here's I think what I really want because I've done some research is that you know for mom jeans I should turn to my own my actual living breathing mother uh, who wears a lot or wore a lot of like light wash Levi's and I always remember her talking about like oh you can never find 100% cotton jeans anymore and I'm like what are you talking about mom it's all about spandex <laughs> but now I'm like oh I want 100% cotton jeans and I want her old Levi's and by the way when I went home I asked her for some pants she gave me some that were made in like 2014 like come on mom I'm talking about your Vintage clothing. <laughs> she probably just gave it all away. Um, Somewhere in the garage. Yeah. So really, I was like, okay, she always wore Levi's. That seems like a brand that in the 80s or 90s produced mom jeans. Right. So I went to Levi's website. No, actually, first I went into Levi's store in Georgetown. 
Big mistake, everyone. Big mistake. <laughs> Levi's in Georgetown is some horrible hellhole boutique-like store that literally has seven pairs of jeans, and that's it. And which is just baffling to me. Like, is this some weird rebranding? Like, Levi's are known. That's like the American jean, 100% cotton. <laughs> you're working in the fields. You're riding a tractor. I don't know. Or you're just being a mom in suburbia, and you're wearing a pair of Levi's. And instead, I go into the Georgetown thing, and you would think I had, like, stumbled in. Ugh, it was the worst. <laughs> Anyways, needless to say, I did not find any mom jeans on that horrible excursion by myself, by the way, which is always a sad predicament when you're shopping. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, like, individual shopping is fine. I think I spend less money when I'm by myself. Okay, when that's I go shopping fair. with other people, some people I would label as enablers, and then I always end up spending a lot more money than I had intended to, or money that I would spend if I was shopping alone. Because I think if I'm shopping alone, if I'm not sure if something looks great or not, I don't, don't buy it. it. Whereas if I'm shopping with someone else, I ask someone else, and if they're an enabler, they say, that looks great, that could totally be your new style, and then you buy all of it, and quickly you have depleted your bank account yeah. in one weekend. That's really fair. Yeah. In this individual excursion, I did not buy any jeans. Well, there you go. Well, money also, saved. Money saved, but still on the quest for mom jeans. Still I will just not be giving Levi's sellouts. No, we'll give updates on this quest. Levi's, if you're listening, step up your game. Change in your Georgetown store and, like, also have mom jeans, okay? That's all I'm asking. Anyways, um, I'll let you guys know if I get some or if they truly look great. Okay, so before we go, we do want to touch on a couple of more serious topics. Um, the first being catcalling. And I think catcalling is something that um, most women experience regardless of what city they're in, regardless of what they're wearing, regardless of where they're going, etc. And I think something that Sophia and I have been talking about a lot personally is how do you respond to that? If you feel really uncomfortable, what's the appropriate response? And how should you be feeling? And what what is the intent behind catcalling? Yeah, and this is something that, well, firstly, there's been, you know, a myriad of think pieces written about it. And this is something, too, I was almost a little hesitant to have us talk about this on the podcast because I think... I particularly become kind of inarticulate when talking about catcalling because I think that the issue has is just there in within it embedded are just so many different um, issues related to like feminism. To what extent do we live in a patriarchy? There are cultural dynamics and implications, racial dynamics and implications, right? Um, and well, of think- course, it firstly is you know. As a woman, you, I encounter it, you encounter it, you know, almost daily. And I think it's something that everyone has, any woman, I don't know, men maybe too, have experienced and certainly have a lot of, you know, like visceral associations with it. Right. Well, I think what we should talk about is mainly the discomfort that you may feel as a woman experiencing catcalling walking down the street and whether or not, I mean, something that I know I asked you was, am I taking this too far? Am I being, um, 
am I being too sensitive? Because there were there even just right outside our our apartment door, I was feeling really uncomfortable walking home because of all the cat calling that I was experiencing, even just coming to and from class. So I know I had asked, am I being too sensitive? Is this really just friendliness? And I think the point that you really drove home for me was, if you are feeling uncomfortable, that's the point. If it's making you feel uncomfortable, then it's not okay. And you are under no obligation to interact or respond to it. And um, regardless of the intent, you need to focus on how it's making you feel. Right, which is kind of interesting because um, right before we recorded this, you had shared that article where someone was like, "It, it's not about how the woman feels, it's all about the intention of the man, which, you know, is maybe not totally uh, in contrast with what I was telling you, which is, you know, for me, I've always viewed it as it doesn't matter what the intention was. It doesn't matter if someone was just, you know, trying to be friendly. It's about, like, my right to walk uninhibited down the sidewalk. And the power dynamic. If you feel like your power has been taken away, regardless of how you respond. Exactly. I think, yeah, because the big thing, too, like, you know, with Catcline, there's a lot of things I'm uncertain about, but one thing that I am certain about is that, like, a moment that, you know, a guy is talking to you, a stranger is, you know, hoping to, like, solicit a response from you, the power dynamic has shifted in his favor. And just because of the, you know, the fact that usually men are larger in build, like, physically they could be threatening, but the fact, too, that I think we live in, you know, truly, like, a patriarchy where, like, the moment you start interacting with this strange man or just a stranger, you have lost control. You have somehow, like, ceded, again, your ability, you know, your right to walk down the street without having to talk to a person. Right. Um, But I think I, the reason that I always try to stray, stray away from talking about the intentions of catcallers when talking about catcalling, um, is because I just think it's more simple to talk about how you feel because that's what it's about. Like, that, mm-hmm. those are the people who have issues with catcalling is the women because they feel uncomfortable or women that feel uncomfortable. Um, and I just think that once you start talking about, like, trying to dissect whatever the intention of this are, person is... That it, is a broad span. Exactly. And that's where it becomes so much more complicated Then it's easy for people to make assumptions. There's that one YouTube video of that woman who walks through New York and all different races are catcalling her. Right. Um, so, and I think that the reason that I try to focus on how it, like, what a woman feels when she's catcalled and what really matters is the way you are making that woman feel or as a woman how you are feeling is because I think everyone has encountered this. Sometimes people are just being friendly. They're just saying hello to you. But sometimes that friendly like, hi, how are you doing? When you ignore them and walk away, suddenly it turns into why didn't you respond to me and now you're now I'm following you because yeah. you didn't say a friendly hello to me. So I think as a woman, like again, you know, the moment someone starts talking to you, that power dynamic shifts and you just like don't know when it turns from friendly to threatening. And that's why I think that, you know, I would love to just generally discourage catcalling from various people because I feel like that's the only thing. But, yeah, to talk about, like, how do you respond to it is maybe one of the most complicated things. And I think the most infuriating is that now women are tasked with, like, the people who, you know, in some cases are kind of like the victims here of catcalling. I would go so far as to classify women in those situations as victims. Now we got to like figure out like, Oh, how are we going to deal with like this Mm -hmm. issue that shouldn't even be happening? I don't think, but, and I think 
um, another issue in regards to response is other um, interactions that you've had. For example, if you've had an interaction that was really negative and which you felt extremely uncomfortable and someone maybe was following you or speaking to you in a way that was threatening or regardless of what they said and you felt uncomfortable, potentially every interaction after that, even if it's something like they're saying like, oh, how are you? You look really nice today. Have a good day. Would make you feel exponentially more uncomfortable based on previous experiences. And then how do you respond to that? Is it polite to say thank you and continue on? Do you ignore them? I think I, we don't have a good answer for that because that's oh, something no. that we struggle with every day. Is Yeah, like I think, yeah, exactly. Every day is a struggle. Like, how do I respond? Case by case. And then in general, do I have like a default? Because I've known people that will sometimes stop people and be like, hey, what you're doing right now is harassment. Mm-hmm. Never have I heard of that turning out well, although I right. support their efforts to try to like educate men that like what they're doing is not welcome. And I personally, like, if I was walking alone down the street, I would, never I would feel uncomfortable approaching someone and saying that. Oh, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I guess personally for me, what I kind of default to is like sort of like a slight smile to acknowledge what they're saying. Like, I don't want to say words to you. Another good thing is to have headphones in. Okay, but Just advocating for having headphones in at all times. Ignore everyone and avoid the entire problem. Well, I mean, also be vigilant in case someone is following you. But, okay, here's the <laughs> thing is that it also just makes, like, such bullshit that I'm like, here's what I do is I put a forced smile on my face. I don't want to smile. Like, there are many times You're where it's like... You're no obligation to respond in a friendly way whatsoever. Right. But I'm just thinking that, like, somehow I've been conditioned, so that is my response, is that regardless of if this interaction or like an interaction of a cat caller is warranted or welcomed by me I just smile because I'm like that seems to placate enough people but there's like an issue where like last weekend I was walking by the way with headphones some guy was like standing sitting on a step or something and was like hey how are you doing I had headphones in I sort of like glanced at him and smiled like okay thanks for acknowledging my presence sir like even though I don't want to talk to you then guy gets furious and starts yelling at me and following me. And I'm like, okay, cool. This could have gone better. Um, but, like, I don't know. It's just, it's truly a very, com- it's an issue, like, I don't have the answers to. And Well, and I think your experience there is exactly why catcalling that a lot of men would probably just describe as harmless or maybe even trying to give a compliment um, makes women feel so uncomfortable and yeah. even... Like, they're potentially in danger. Exactly. Because it has the potential to lead to a situation like that where you're actually being followed, your personal space is being invaded, and your personal safety is at risk. Oh, yeah. And it's just, yeah, you just don't know when it's going to turn to that. So, I don't, I yeah, I truly don't know what the answer to this is. Maybe just public awareness. Education. Start it young. Kindergarten. Tell the boys. Tell the girls, too. Don't catcall people because... It makes them uncomfortable. Um, But, you know, and even then, it's complicated because you have cultural things where people are like, no, it's nice to be friendly on the street. And, yeah, there's it's just like a truly, a very, just many gradients of gray in this issue. And that's why. But an important issue to talk about, although we unfortunately cannot give you any concrete answers. No, but, you know, I mean, this would be a good opportunity if any of the listeners have like comments with suggestions or like particular experiences um maybe one time you called out a cat caller and it worked well let's know how it goes yeah well i mean like we're not advocating to do it after listening to us but if you have done it and <laughs> maybe it went, it went positively uh because really in this day and age i don't want to advocate that people engage with strangers because you just never know that is true uh yeah so that's that's a prickly one that's a tricky yeah 
Well, we're about to wrap up. I think we want to touch on one more sort of a news issue before we go. Yeah. Uh, again, a more serious one. Um, so this, the reason that I want to talk about this is because, uh, Maeve, you went to a boarding school. Yes. Which was? North Mount Herman. Which was in? Western Massachusetts, right near, um, well, I guess I could say it's near the border of a lot of states. It's about an hour and a half outside of Boston. Yeah, so uh, something that has been in the news recently is uh, the rape trial that came out of St. Paul's School, which is a boarding school in Connecticut. Um, And basically, just like a quick background of the case is that um, this night, well, now 19, at the time he was 18-year-old, Owen Labrie, um, he was uh, charged with raping a 15-year-old classmate. Um, And there were a number of counts like, given, raised against him. One was, you know, what is kind of colloquially known as statutory rape for the age difference. One was the fact that he kind of lured her over to the internet to try to convince her to, you know, hang out with him slash have sex with him. Gray area. Um, And then the other was just actual, like, assault that he had forced her to do it. Um, But kind of, I, well, firstly, I wanted to ask Maeve, I want to ask you a couple of questions about it because you do have experience at a boarding school. Um, but as like a summary of how the trial concluded is that he was not convicted of like the main assault charge, but he was convicted of like statutory, using quotation marks, statutory rape and the use of the internet. Uh, so that raised, it was like a pretty big scandal just for the school in general. Well, so I think one thing there was that, um, just to clarify, there were two different issues there. One was that this tradition, I believe it's called senior send-off, in yes. which on one night oh. at the end of the year, um, all of the senior boys were supposed to try to find an undergraduate girl. To oh, was it one night? I thought it was, like, just before you graduate, tally up as many as you could. Hook up with. I believe the other thing I read in an article is that he was sort of on a list of boys where they were just keeping a running list of how many girls they could hook up with. Senior salute was just about sexual conquest. Right. Which was kind of the scandal in general for St. Paul's School. And then for this individual in particular being charged with rape. Right. Um, So I wanted to get your perspective, Maeve, coming from a similar school. Did NMH have a similar senior salute? So um, I think all prep schools have sort of a, like, senior wills, which is um, either a dare or you know, an, an item or a set of keys that you, that are passed down from seniors to underclassmen. And it's sort of wow. always this exciting thing where you, potentially I should not be sharing this. No, please. Secret. Oh, this but is the scoop. For example, my sophomore year when I moved into an upperclassman dorm, the most exciting night of the spring semester is when all the seniors in your dorm pull you out of bed around 2 or 3 a.m. and you have a top-secret meeting in the laundry room when you're not supposed to be out of your rooms, and they pass down these senior wills. So um, a will might be passed down simply because a senior has cultivated a relationship with one of, you know, like a good friendship with one of the underclassmen, or because they think a will particularly describes or suits an underclassman. So, for example, I once got a set of keys to a building on campus, although by the time I tried to use them... They had changed a lot. Um, So things like that. And I think most boarding schools have traditions, and I think that traditions are sort of inherent to institutions. A lot of college campuses have traditions, that kind of thing. So in that sense, 
my am I surprised that they have that tradition? No. Am I aware of that same tradition at my school? Also no, but potentially I was just not in the know. Um, however, I think what's most important about this case is that it was brought forward. Because not just at St. Paul's, but at a lot of prep schools and colleges in general, there is the issue of rape cases not being brought forward, or when they are brought forward to the authorities, um, to the appropriate authorities, they're not addressed to, they're not addressed accordingly or appropriately. So I think that's the most important thing to take away from this was not only did this girl come forward, um, her story was taken seriously, and she was able to get, I don't know if reparations is the right word, but her story became public. Justice. Yeah. Yeah. For what happened to her. And I think that and even at my school, I'm sure there are instances um, where someone felt uncomfortable, potentially went to the appropriate authority, and their story never became public like this. Do I know that for sure? No. But I think that that happens at so many institutions, and it's a huge issue. And so I think with this with this St. Paul's scandal, the most important thing, because do I think that this is going to stop the senior salute tradition? Absolutely not. Prep school kids stick by their traditions. Oh, huge traditions. eye roll! Sorry, yeah, everybody. Sorry, um, but, but seriously though, we take you know there. It's a, yeah. sort of a school pride thing. Do I think that in this case, senior salute has anything to do to do with school pride? No, but I don't think that it's going to end the tradition. But I do think it's setting an important precedent for St. Paul's to have come out with this to say we are supporting the victims of sexual abuse on our campus. We're taking these allegations seriously, and we will not ignore you if you come forward with a story. Yeah, and I think that actually um, kind of just related to how, um, sort of like how seriously this girl was taken by, like, just, like, the justice system is actually, like, an interesting thing, kind of moving away from the culture of these sort of, like, collegiate-type campuses where a lot of times rape cases are really swept under the rug or assault charges, whatever, totally covered, hidden by the school, um, is that there were... Um, a few pieces written about the fact that this was an interesting case because it was ruled that Owen Labrie, this kid, didn't physically force this girl to have sex with him, um, but she did not consent. And I think the weird thing is, is that, and this is also so crazy because in college campuses, the, like, campaign slogan, like, no means no, is everywhere. And, like, that is so frequently used as, like, the standard for consent about, like, what makes it rape, what makes it assault. And consent is the key, but it turns out that really, like, half of the states in the U.S., that is not the bar for rape. In, like, most states, you have to, like, physically force someone to have sex with you, and that's the only time that it's rape. But in the case... Connecticut is actually weird, like, an outlier, and they actually consider the consent, like, whether or not that was there as the bar for rape. So, actually, Connecticut is, like, more progressive than the majority of states, which also makes it kind of crazy, like, just, I don't know, sort of, I mean, it's clearly not good for the girl, but just on a legal, like, stance, sort of, like, crazy that this happened to be a state where they do consider consent, you know, the bar for whether or not it's rape, but concerning that they would have campaigns like no means no when it turns out, like, if you actually wanted to prosecute someone in most states because you told them no and they, like, you know, raped you without using physical force, in the legal system that actually doesn't hold up. Right. Which I think means, like, you know, this is a time that we need to revise those laws, especially if, like, in high schools and college campuses, that's what people are being told. Right. And it just, like, it doesn't match up. And if we want people to come forward... 
And yeah, exactly. You want victims to feel comfortable coming forward, but also feel like if they come forward, they will get justice. Exactly. And that, you know, um, that somebody will be persecuted for this. Right. Then it's important to, yeah. I mean, change laws. And I also think this is an issue that we'll potentially come back to in other episodes because this is a huge movement on college campuses mm-hmm. and prep school campuses all across the United States. Right. And it's, you know, it's a big, important issue. Exactly. So. <laughs> This has been the second episode of Bottom Shelf. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Yeah, also just quick thing about feel free to comment and interact with us about this podcast. Yeah. Especially if we had controversial opinions, which potentially we did. Actually, the best way to contact us is you can find it in the link on our SoundCloud page, but our email is bottomshelfpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, even if we know you. Yeah. Um, Hit us up. Give us comments. Even if you want to remain anonymous. Yeah. We're always looking for ways to improve our our podcast or and hear other opinions because we want to share lots of opinions on the podcast. So hit us up.